Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open them up to 1 Kings chapter 17. We have been going through a study on, on the life of Elijah. This is our third message on his life. Elijah had prayed that it would not rain. He makes the journey to the king's royal palace, eye to eye, face to face, basically because they've totally disobeyed God, they've rebelled against God, they've gone to Baal worship, and he says to the king, it's not going to rain. And according to James chapter 5, verse 17, it did not rain for three and a half years. And so, actually, it did, did not rain, and so drought came, famine followed, as usually is the case when there is drought. And it ends up being really because it is an answer to Elijah's own prayer. You know, he is sent to the brook Kareth, where we were, were last week, He's there for a while, that brook dries up, and he too finds himself having to depend completely on the Lord. That brook dries up, again, an answer to his own prayer, a result of his very own praying. Have you ever prayed something and yet down deep inside, not really wanting the full result (laughs) of whatever that something was that you were praying? Lord, make me godly. Mold me into a person after your own heart. And meanwhile, in your own heart, you're thinking, but don't let it hurt too much. (laughs) Lord, make me stable and long-suffering and gracious, but don't remove too many of my comfort, my creature comforts. Lord, teach me faith. Make me strong, but just don't let me suffer. Ring any bells? (laughs) We want instant maturity, but not the kind that requires sacrifice or pain or hardship. We all know we're very well familiar with the old adage, Lord, give me patience and give it right now. We know that one. What we need to remember is that God is much more concerned about our transformation than he is about our comfort. Self-denial, have you noticed, is not a popular virtue in today's culture. Church, our God is relentless in a good way, of course. He never ceases to take us through his training experiences, his training courses, his refining process never fails. And he does that because he loves us so much, so much that he will not leave us. It is not his desire to leave us unchanged, full of pride or full of ourselves. Elijah went to the Kareth Brook, an energetic, pumped up prophet of God who spoke for God, right? But when he left there, he left a deeper man of God. 
All of this happened because he was left beside a brook that dried up alone, but not forgotten, tested, but not abandoned. And now we will find Elijah being sent to another training center from Kareth to a place called Zarephath, a next level training, if you will, that God has for him. Let's pick it up at verses 8 and 9 of 1 Kings chapter 17. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. Just like it said in verse 2, right? When he, after he makes the pronouncement to Ahab, the word of the Lord came, time to get out, let's go, we're going to hide you at the Kareth Ravine. And then it says it again here in verse 8, And the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, Elijah is instructed to go there to this place called Zarephath. And the, the meaning is interesting. This word Zarephath, it means to smelt or melt or refine. Evidently, there was some sort of metal refining foundry or factory in this place. Elijah's faith and obedience are going to be tested and refined even further at this place. God was going to continue the work of removing the dross of pride and impatience and, and self-reliance, independence of God, and even fear. So God tells his prophet to leave his hiding place at Kareth Ravine and travel somewhere around 100 miles northwestward during a time of drought, during a time of famine, during a time of hunger, during a time when King Ahab would still be looking for this guy. He's got to get out into a public road. <laughs> He's got to leave his hiding place. And on top of all of that, and this is what I find really, really something. This is like, so like God. <laughs> The complete opposite of what you and I would choose to do, God is asking Elijah to do. Did you see there where it says, I want you to go to Zarephath of Sidon? You know, that's interesting. You want to know why? Because back in chapter 16, verse 31, we read there that that is Jezebel's hometown. (laughs) Her dad, Ethbael, according to 1631, is the king there. He is the one who is in charge and leading the nation in Baal worship. So basically, Elijah is going to Zarephath, only eight miles away from Sidon, which we could consider to be the backyard of the enemy. Isn't that like God? You and I, we think, ah, I don't think so. (laughs) But God says, yeah, I think so. I mean, really, when you stop and think about it from a strategic point of view, who would think to look for Elijah in their own backyard? (laughs) (laughs) Sidon was roughly, like I said, only about eight miles away. But he goes. There's no excuses. I think even still, this would have been a tough pill for Elijah to swallow, don't you think? Certainly would be for us. 
First of all, for a Jew to go to Sidon would be humiliating due to the fact that the Jews didn't think very highly of the Baal-worshipping Gentile nations that surrounded them. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Elijah is told he's going to be supported by a woman and a widow at that. That must have been a serious blow to the prophet's pride, which God is wanting to work on. You see, in those days, widows were the poorest of the poor. And then so in times of drought or famine, they would have been the first to go, if you understand what I mean. So here is Elijah going to a place near the hometown of Jezebel, the center of Baal worship outside of Israel in Gentile country to a woman's home, a widow's home, and there she was going to sustain him. Talk about refining, right? It would be here at Zarephath that God would continue to smooth out and refine the rough edges of Elijah's pride and self-reliance, as we have been saying. Now, church, can we just say this right here, right now? You will find that God doesn't always will grind and sharpen the tools that he intends to use. Oh, thank you, but I got one right there. <laughs> thank you, though, Brian. <clears throat> and that reminds me that it is right there. <laughs> I already forgot about it. <laughs> he always was. And we need to be okay with that. Anybody here interested in being useful for God? I hope you are. He will always grind and sharpen the tools that he intends to use. It's been said before. I'm going to say it again. God's ways are not like our ways. God will do whatever he needs to do to refine us to refine our faith, to develop our trust in him and remove the garbage of disobedience and pride and rebellion and sin and impatience and doubt. And it can go on and on, couldn't it? Some great verses to know when you find yourself in a time like this, when maybe God is sharpening you and grinding on you a little bit because he intends to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Job 23.10 is a good verse to draw from. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Or I like 1 Peter 1.7 too. It says, these have come, these referring to the test and the trials and the refinings, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then there's Proverbs 17, 3, another great verse to draw strength and comfort from. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Perhaps you feel like you've been placed in the crucible, which is the noun form of Zarephath, crucible. 
Maybe you feel like you've been placed there, that, that stone furnace enclosed, surrounded, under fire. Could it be that God is refining you and developing you like a picture is developed? When it goes through that darkroom process in order to reflect his image clearer and greater. His, the characteristics of God, his love and his joy and his peace and his compassion, his truth and his light. We are a self-reliant people, are we not? You know what? They didn't say amen to that last night either. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? We always want to believe that we can handle it. We would like to think that we are in control of our own lives and that we are calling all of the shots and that we've got this and we know what we're doing. However, when the Lord begins to work in your life, wanting to reveal himself in you much more clearly, please don't miss that. He will allow a Zarephath in your life where you will have to come to a place where you need to depend on him and him alone. When you have been brought to the place where you can lean on nothing but God, he has brought you actually to a very good place. Oh, I know. And although we will not like it at first, you'll not like it at first, and you will, you will scratch and claw and do all you can to remove yourself from that place. You need to understand it is the best place you could ever be. Oh, it hurts. It's uncomfortable. It is painful, but it won't always be. As we saw there in Proverbs 17.3, when you come forth, you will be like gold. And you will be someone who God can use. You will be someone who is no longer living for ourselves, yourself, but for him. And making a difference in your life, mattering in a real eternal kind of way. That's what he's wanting to bring about in our lives. And that's the challenge that we all face in our faith journey. We all face the challenge of getting to that place where we are trusting God and him alone. All the needs that we have in this life, placing his hand, just understanding and believing beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's got it. And that he's working, even though we can't see it, it's right in front of us, you just can't see it. He's working and moving always on your behalf. We just always get in the way. With our lack of trust and our need for control and having to get our hands back on it and make things happen in our way. And all of you know when you've done that, it, all it does is cause things to be even worse when we're not trusting God. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me now. And again, so he went, meaning Elijah, to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I, I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called out, and, and Bring me, please, 
a piece of bread. God's provision to meet Elijah's need came through a poverty-stricken widow during a time of famine. You, you got to make sure you get that. It's important. Again, God's ways are not our ways, right? He can meet your need <laughs> from the most unexpected, <laughs> illogical places. We got to get that through our heads, into our hearts. When Elijah arrives, the widow just happens to be at the right place at the right time. Isn't that interesting? We look at that and say, wow, Elijah is such a lucky guy. <laughs> right? Wrong. <laughs> God was directing the steps of both of these people. That's what's so cool about this. He's directing the steps of Elijah as well as the steps of this poor widow woman. God has a way of putting people into our paths like that, doesn't he? Right at the right time, right at the right place to meet our need and to encourage us. Will you have a divine appointment this week? Will you have a divine appointment this month? Will you even recognize it? Will God put someone into your life to help you? Will he put you into someone else's life to help them? Be sensitive, church, to the Lord's leading in your life and never, ever underestimate divine appointments. Elijah requested water and bread, which were valuable, obviously, in a time of drought and famine. And I'm frankly, quite impressed with this widow. She does something that maybe most of us would not have done, in all honesty, given the condition, the circumstances. It would demand sacrifice and faith. And here's a biggie, unselfishness. Water would have been scarce, and yet she did something that I would encourage all of us to learn from in the time of her own trouble and need and trial and difficulty. She gave what she could to somebody else out of her own need. When you are scraping the bottom of the barrel, you will find you will be tested in these same areas because there is a tendency for us to be selfish, right? To doubt and be discouraged, to rationalize. We're good at that. <laughs> to rationalize and offer excuses why you should not sacrifice and serve the Lord or others. There's another lesson here for us. Our God is a God who works on both ends of the line which is another reason why those divine appointments are incredibly important. Yes. He's working both ends of the line to illustrate when Jacob and his sons needed food, God provided a Joseph in Egypt. Working both ends, right? When the people of Israel sent their spies to Jericho, God provided a Rahab. 
working both ends of the line. Rahab ended up in Jesus' family tree. <laughs> when the Jews faced a Haman, God raised up an Esther. When, the, when an Ethiopian eunuch needed salvation, God sent him a Philip. The point is this. When your time of need arises, we certainly can rest assured that your heavenly father has already gone ahead to take care of matters for you. It's the truth. Never forget the promise of Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's for you. Verse 12, as surely, this is the, the widow's response, as surely as the Lord your God lives, you have to understand, now remember, she is a pagan Gentile living in a nation that is all about Baal worship. I, we, don't, we have no idea where she is spiritually at this time. But here's what we do know. She says, Yahweh Elohim, your Lord, Elijah, Yahweh Elohim, as certainly as he lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And then listen to this. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. This is why Elijah's requests demanded such sacrifice on her part. The widow, and this is just putting it mildly, is like an understatement, is, is in bad shape. She is scraping the bottom of the barrel herself. Elijah's faith would be tested here. I wonder if his first impression was, God, did you make a mistake here? This lady can't hardly even take care of herself. How is she going to take care of me? Or was he growing at this point in wisdom and understanding? Quick little side note, I just recently read a, a simple definition of wisdom is just simply seeing things as God sees them. Understanding being simply responding as God would respond. Right? Is, is Elijah growing in these things and in faith and knowing that God was God and that he could do the impossible? God uses weak things, amen, to confound the mighty and the proud and those who think they are those things. The widow needed to learn a lesson too, right? Remember, God working both ends of the line if this widow is obedient and unselfish, 
She would be a great blessing to Elijah, obviously, as God provided for her he would be providing for Elijah too. God was trying to teach her faith, trust, and compassion, and unselfishness. God wants this Gentile widow to know that he is the one true living God, and it's not Baal. And he wants this widow to know that he loves her and cares about her. He wants you to know that as well with your own life. This widow needed encouragement. The reason God may allow you to escape, to scrape the bottom of a barrel from time to time is to develop these very same things in you. Compassion for others to grow in unselfishness and faith in the Lord. I think selfishness is a huge reason why people don't serve God or others. I think it comes down to just Selfishness being another way of saying because we can't get ourselves out of the way. Their attitude is, it's my life, it's my stuff, it's my money, it's my time, my, my, my. God is wanting to develop courage in this widow. Keeping Elijah in her home, let's not miss this either, would have been a dangerous thing for her. Remember, he's a wanted man. This could mean risking her own life, maybe even her son's. God is showing this widow the value of faith in him. She presently feels helpless, hopeless, and discouraged. Scraping the bottom of the barrel can leave you feeling that way. She is overwhelmed with discouragement and is preparing to eat her last meal and die. Discouragement is caused by a lot of things, but just a couple, the difficulty of everyday circumstances, they just tend to pile up after a while. Even the endless problems where no ends seems to be in sight can leave one very discouraged, depressed, Church, once again, God sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. And he can do what we cannot do. Amen. Verse 13 and 14 now. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. In other words, don't worry. <laughs> be happy. <laughs> don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Make me this cake first. Kind of like we're doing all right until we got there, and then all of a sudden we're like, seriously, Elijah, come on. Be a gentleman. <laughs> or I can hear this, men, this, this widow maybe thinking, men. <laughs> Make me the cake first, and then afterwards... 
There will be a continual supply of meal and oil, flour and oil for you and your son. Maybe she's thinking, you know, you can almost maybe see the wheels turning in her mind. Wait a minute. Why don't you fill the barrel first? Why don't you fill the jug first? And I'll be more than happy to make you a cake, two, three, four, however many you want. Sure. Just do it first. She doesn't, does she? How many of you know that the Lord doesn't work that way? Have you found that to be true? Folks, true sacrifice is always out of our need. Sacrifice never comes out of surplus. Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice, is it? We tend to say, Lord, if you bless me, well, then I will give. Lord, if you bless me, then we will get serious about getting out there and serving you and serving others. Just bless me first. No, you give first. Then the blessing is released. That's how God works. Remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 33? See first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added to you. The Lord said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 3, Have the priests put their feet into the water, and then I will stop the water. <laughs> Again, Eli, Joshua could have said to the Lord, I'll tell you what, Lord, it's flood season right now, and it was. The water level is up pretty high, and, and the water is flowing pretty, pretty tough. You know, it's, pretty, it's really going fast. Why don't you stop the water, and we'll be more than glad to step in. But Joshua doesn't do that. He obeys. And if you know the story, those priests, as they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as their feet touched the water, it lets us know in Joshua 3 that God stopped the water upstream a few miles back. And it even tells us the place that it happened in, of all places, a place called Adam. <laughs> That's who our God is. That's the kind of God we serve, amen? The Father is determined to make us men and women of faith. Are we letting him? And he'll put us in a situation after situation where faith must be exercised. It takes no faith to give out a surplus. It takes tremendous faith to give out of our very own need, even in our times of survival, in those times when we just don't have it seemingly, in those times when the finances are lacking, and maybe even when our love for God and for others seems to be lacking, it's in those times that we in faith step forward and just say yes as he's wanting to work on us. Verse 15 and 16, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, her son. And then verse 16 is such a great verse. 
for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. Don't you love that? I love that. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The widow trusted God's promises and God kept his word meeting her needs. She is tested. But I want to make a point here that while Elijah says, but first bring me a cake, we want to make sure we don't miss something here. You see, this wasn't so much a challenge to her of putting Elijah first and who was going to get the first piece of bread. This was really the challenge to her of putting God first. That's what the challenge was. Putting God first. To be willing to sacrifice. And she did. And the Lord in turn multiplied the very little and it became more than enough. For as long as it needed to be more than enough. The Lord will not be a debtor to any one person. If you are giving, sharing, sacrificing, he will never be in your debt. And what that means is he will more than make it up back to you. That's the kind of God that we serve. If you live for the treasures of this life, well, you know what's going to happen? You're going to leave them all behind when you die. But if you live for the treasures of heaven, they will be waiting for, we, for you when you arrive there. And the good news is you will get to enjoy them for all eternity. Folks, we are not here just to make a living. We are here to make a life. A life as a man or woman of God. Making a difference. Expanding his kingdom. Loving him and loving others. And being willing to sacrifice when called on to do so. The flower that was used is a great reminder of our Lord Jesus and his word. When you stop and think about it, the bread of life, right? And the oil is a great reminder of the Holy Spirit. They never fail. They never fail. They never fail. The meal and oil strengthened Elijah and the widow, the word of God and the spirit of God strengthens us. Amen. When we put the Lord first, he will multiply the little that we have and meet our needs because it will be more than enough. Are you scraping the bottom of the barrel spiritually this morning? Emotionally? Physically? Realize, believe that God knows where you are and, and he knows your situation. You are not forgotten. He's got you right here in the palm of his hand. He will give you direction at the right time if you will seek him and wait on him. Did you hear that? And wait on him rather than you getting out in front of God, rather than you taking charge thinking you've, you've got to make something happen. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Yes. 
Wait on him. Wait for his leading. Find rest in the promises of God like Elijah said to the widow. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Realize that the Lord just might be refining you. Realize that God just maybe might have you in a Zarephath right now, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because he's shaping you and transforming you into the image so that you might display greater characteristics of him and his son. Amen. His characteristics referring to so that he would see, we, that others would see more in us his compassion and maturity and unselfishness and sacrifice in our lives. So open your life. Open up your life to him. Open your heart to the loving, gracious, refining movement of God. You'll never regret that. And make sure that you are putting him first in your life, now and always. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me this morning. Obviously, I'm having a little... Father, we come before you this morning and we want to say thank you for being the God that you are. That you love us so much that you won't leave us unchanged full of pride, full of ourselves, selfish and self-reliant. You've got a better plan for us, God. Help us to get ourselves out of the way. Help us to say yes to you and just trust you, Lord. And in those times when it seems like we're in the crucible, when we're experiencing a, a Zarephath like Elijah was, and we just rely on you, lean into you even more, and allow you to shape us, refine us, and make us more like you. We'll never regret that. May we give our life to you completely, wholeheartedly, May this decision and this resolve carry us all the way into eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up